The following audio is from First Baptist Church of Conyers. More information about First Baptist Conyers is available at firstconyers.com. I've entitled the message today, Unending Joy. And the reason I use that word unending is because very few of us oftentimes experience what we might call unending joy, meaning a joy that that never ceases, a joy though, while it may be fleeting at times and it may escape us at times because of circumstances, it's a joy that we can have as being in fellowship, relationship with God on a continual basis. And there's absolutely nothing that can rob us from that, but we can allow it I was reading an article this last week, and I verified the source of it. Unlike I verified the source of the the statement about the Pope, that was wrong. The Pope did not denounce the deity of Christ, and so or did not say that there's no hell. I wanted to make that clarification. I spoke of that last week. But Anne Grand Lotz was interviewed from Religion News Services back in December of 2019. If you're not sure who she was, she's the daughter of the late evangelist Billy Graham. How many of you have heard of Billy Graham? Okay, there's still okay. Enough of this generation has heard of Billy Graham. She writes this a year after being diagnosed with breast cancer. And she says in the article, through this, the joy of the Lord never left me. It wasn't just the breast cancer, however, because her journey through that previous time, a year and a half, Three years after the death of her husband and six months after the death of the funeral and death of her father, she's diagnosed with this breast cancer. So in about a year span of time, she loses her husband of 43 years of marriage, I think. She loses her father. He dies, passes away. And in the midst of that, she's diagnosed with breast cancer and it was stage four breast cancer. And she goes on to write this now that she's gone through the treatment and through that, she says, through all of this, the joy never left me. And she makes this statement. She says, the Christian life is so much more than just being saved from hell. It's so much more than just going to heaven. Praise God for both of these things, that we've been saved from hell and we're going to heaven. But the Christian life is not just a checklist of do's and don'ts, but it is a relationship that is vibrant and alive in fellowship with him. You get that? She says the Christian life is a relationship and it's made vibrant and alive through fellowship with him and it's sufficient to carry us through the hardest things. We see in this statement two things that the Bible talks about. It talks about having a relationship to God, and that is a personal relationship to Him. But it also talks about us having fellowship with God. You see, once we trust Christ for our salvation, we come into relationship with Him. We are His children now. We are adopted into His family. And there's nothing that can ever separate us from that relationship with Him. My daughter is my daughter. My son is my son. By birth, but they're, they're my blood children. There's nothing that they could ever do or there's nothing that I can ever do that can sever that relationship. Do you get that? I mean, you, honey, you're stuck with me until the end of life. I may have to move in someday and remember you're in a relationship with me. But listen, that relationship will never change. I'll always be her dad. She'll always be my daughter, no matter what. However, our fellowship can change. 
Our fellowship can be strained. Our fellowship can be broken based on what one or both of us might do. And so in, in that instance where our fellowship is strained, there has to be something that takes place in order to get that fellowship right. And so what John is saying, what he's clearly communicating through his letter is that, listen, you have a relationship with God, but, but greater than that, I want you to have fellowship with him. That it's not enough just to have your ticket stamped to heaven and a, and a, and a pass from hell, but God desires that you might have fellowship with him because in that fellowship with him is your only source of joy in life. You see, happiness changes. Happiness is based on circumstances. John is saying, listen, even though you live in a world that is dominated by the evil one and you see it all around you, even though you live the Christian life in the experience where sometimes you might suffer criticism or you might suffer persecution, in the midst of that, there is a joy that you can have even in that. He says, even though you might go through a period of suffering, can I clue you in on something? Some of you younger, life is, it's not a question of will you suffer in life? It's a question of when will you suffer in life, right? Because life touches all of us. And he says, listen, even in the midst of suffering, you can still experience that joy that God desires for you to have through fellowship with Christ. It's not fleeting. It's not passing. The Apostle Paul writes of this suffering in Philippians chapter 4. And in the middle of this, when Paul is in prison and he's writing a letter to believers in Philippi, Philippi he says in verse 4 of chapter 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and I will say it again, rejoice. And we ask the question, how can he have joy in the Lord when he's sitting in a prison cell? But he has it. In that same letter, in, in, in later chapters, he writes this, that, listen, guys, I rejoice in the fact that when I was in need, you sent, you sent care to me, but I'm not writing this so I can get more from you, but I'm writing this to let you know that I have learned to be content in life regardless of the circumstances. And he links here this joy in the Lord or having joy and fellowship with the Lord with being content in our circumstances. Now, that doesn't mean that sometimes we may not want our circumstances to change. But what it means is that we submit our life to Christ and we're in fellowship with Him. And for whatever reason He might have us in this season in our life, we're content in it because the contentment comes from the joy that we experience in fellowship with Him. Can I tell you, contentment cannot come through outward circumstances in our lives. We may have temporary contentment, we may have temporary satisfaction, but true, true, true contentment cannot come in life outside of our fellowship and our joy and our fellowship with Him. Jesus writes this in John chapter 16, verse 33. He said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Now, he's telling them a lot here in John chapter 16, and he's just unfolded to them that he's about to die, and he's about to leave them. And he writes to them, he says, you will suffer in this world. It's not a negotiable thing. It's not an if, but it's a when. You will suffer. Jesus said that. But be courageous. I have overcome or conquered the world. 
So you also have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy from me. Do you realize that Jesus has given us the capacity to have a joy in him, that there is absolutely nothing that can rob us of that joy, only what we allow to rob us of that joy? You get that? He's given it to us. It's there for us. I've observed kind of this in our American culture, and you may, you may have observed it as well. You ever sit back and watch people? I, I do it all the time. You ever in an airport and just watching people? And, and we see people all over the place where you are, and sometimes you, you recognize that there seem to be a lot of dead folks walking around. You know what I'm saying? I mean, and then they're moving and they're going and there may be laughter and there may be a, a jubilation, but deep inside you recognize and realize that while there's laughter on the outside, there are a lot of folks hurting because they're not experiencing this joy that God talks about. Solomon writes about this in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 13. He says, even in laughter, the heart may be sad. You ever gone into a setting where you're really not that joyful? But you know you got to go there. You know you got to be around people. And you know you don't want to be a knucklehead and just sit in the corner. Some of you do, but, you know, you know you're not going to be a knucklehead and just sit in the corner. But you kind of act like everything's okay. It's that. That's what Solomon's painting. He's saying, listen, while there may be laughter on the outside, there can still be sadness in the heart. Joy is a very difficult thing to define, biblical joy. We can't simply go to the dictionary and look up the word joy and get a definition and understand what the Bible talks about when it talks about this joy in Him. It's kind of the same thing that we can't really get the definition of love from Webster's Dictionary and understand the full broad scope of biblical love. And so Paul has to write 1 Corinthians chapter 13 to, to explain all that love is. Well, it's just kind of the same way with joy. John is writing here, I, I write these things, what things? This thing that I want you to have fellowship with him and with us. I want you to have fellowship with the Father and I want you to have fellowship with Jesus so that your joy might be complete. Can I paraphrase what he's saying? If you don't have fellowship with him, you're not going to have full joy. That you're experiencing, my experiencing, his joy is directly linked to the fellowship that we have with him. Somebody asked a question, what does that fellowship look like? When you talk about having fellowship with God, what are you talking about? G. Campbell Morgan wrote that fellowship with God simply means that we have engaged in a business contract with God. He goes on to explain that what that means to have fellowship with God and engage in that business contract with Him is that all the things that are God's desires are our desires when we're in fellowship with Him. The more we are in fellowship with Him, the more that we are in communion with Him, the more His desires become our desires. That when we grow in fellowship, when we're in fellowship with him, the things that he loves are the things that we begin to love as well. The opposite of that are the things that he hates. Notice I didn't say the people that he hates. The things that God hates, then 
we also begin to hate those things because we get the heartbeat of God. We get to know Him and understand Him. His goals and His plans become our goals and our plans. His agenda becomes our agenda, and that's what it means to be in fellowship with Him. And God desires that all of us be in fellowship with Him. It, it, the believer's life should, should never, although we do, don't misunderstand me, but the believer's life should never become a flat line. You know, the EKG, when you get that, or they're looking at the heart, there's that thing that goes there. Sometimes in a believer's life, we recognize that it's become a flat line. And what's happened there when it becomes a flat line is they are no longer growing or engaging in fellowship with Jesus. You see, it should, should be an ever-increasing thing. Now, we have moments and season in our Christian life where it becomes a flat line, right? Anybody there this morning that you're in flat line? Any, anybody want to be honest? Yeah, I'm in flat line right now. You know who you are. <laughs> but there's a key to this fellowship that John is going to begin to talk about in this letter. It's found in the next verses. Look at verse 5. He says, This is a message that we have heard from him and declare to you, that God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we are lying and are not practicing the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. So what he's making the case is there is we all have sin. Can everybody say amen to that? Every one of us have sin. But in verse 9, he says this. He says, if we confess our sins, then he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, one of the things that will hinder me most in my life in fellowship with him and experiencing his joy is not to confess and receive, confess sin and receive his forgiveness for that sin. I don't know why it is. Maybe you're like me. Sometimes it's because I'm ignorant to things in my life, ignorant to sin. Sometimes it's just that I'm bullheaded and I don't want to admit that I am wrong. Anybody else with me in that? But the believer not experiencing his forgiveness that he has extended to us through the covenant that he's made with us will keep us from experiencing the joy that he wants us to have in life. Now, on the other hand, there, there may be a sin that we want to hold on to and we want to keep coddling that thing and massaging that thing and we get dumbfounded, null, uh, uh, um, uh, numb to the fact that we're out of fellowship with him. God help us then and we'll never experience that joy. But I'm telling you this, God has made a way in his love and in his infinite grace and in his mercy to us that he recognizes that we are all flawed sinners, but he has made a way through Jesus that if we confess our sins, then he is faithful to forgive us and we're restored back in fellowship with him and we experience his joy. I've counseled many times people through the years as counseling and talking with them is that sometimes I'll find out that there's something way back in their past or maybe something recent in their past 
that they recognize that they have sinned, but for some reason, they don't want to confess that and come out right with God. As if maybe if I tell him that I've done it, he's going to find out. <laughs> right? God in His mercy and His grace and His love has made a way that we can be in fellowship with Him. And He wants us to be in fellowship with Him. It's simply acknowledging that. Back to the child analogy, I can remember with both of my kids when they were growing up at times, when they came in the room, I just knew they were guilty. I didn't know what they were guilty of, but I knew they were guilty. Any parents understand that? They come in, they're, they're, they're just acting different, they may try to change the subject, they may try to divert the conversation, but they know that they're guilty and they're, they're afraid for some reason that if they just come clean, then maybe mom and dad are just going to come off on me. I don't know, but listen, God, when we confess our sins to him, you may have a parent, may have had a parent that if you confessed it, they were going to well on you and you just have to pay for it for the next six months. Can I tell you, our heavenly father is not that way. You see, we confess to him, he forgives us of our sins and he cleanses us all around. Why? Why does he do that? Because he wants us to have him. You see, forgiveness is all about us having God. Because when there's that unconfessed sin in our lives, and it may be a sin of volition, it may be whatever the sin might be. I don't have any particular sins in mind right now, but anything that separated us from fellowship with Him, the reason He wants us to confess it is because He wants us to have Him, and there's no greater joy than having fellowship with Him. So, a lot of things I have in life I have a beautiful wife, great wife, have great kids, have great grandkids, have great friends, have, have a great church that I'm a part of, but none of that, none of that, I'd trade it all tomorrow to be in fellowship with him. There's nothing that compares to it because that's the only real source of this joy that John talks about in this passage. You see, forgiveness is essentially God's way of removing that great obstacle to our fellowship with Him. You know, the other thing I've discovered about experiencing God's forgiveness in my life is that when I experience His forgiveness and I'm in fellowship with Him, I am more forgiving and more merciful to others in my life. You see, a forgiven person forgives much. An unforgiving person does not forgive. I was having a conversation with somebody several weeks ago, and this person is always negative. They're always critical. And when I come in the room, uh, it, it, they don't have to say the words, but they hate me. Do you, you don't understand what I'm saying? You know anybody like that? And I, I try everything to try to, try to, it's nobody here, so don't go looking around. And I try everything. And so finally, I just looked at her a few weeks ago. I said, who has hurt you so bad in the past that you're so mean to other people? We're good friends now. <laughs> you see, hurt people hurt people. Forgiven people forgive people. 
When we experience his forgiveness in our life, it frees us up. And this is the other thing that John writes. Listen, I write this so that your joy might be complete because our fellowship was with the Father and his Son and with one another as well. And he desires for us to have that in that we experience his joy. You see, joy is that thing that, again, is inexpressible. It's almost unexplainable. Joy is the result of our fellowship with the Father and the Son. And I'll go on to say this. It's not in this passage, but it's in others. It's also in fellowship with the Holy Spirit. If, if we're in our lives, and, and in some way, the Bible talks about us breaking fellowship with the Holy Spirit in these two ways. That we can either quench the Holy Spirit or we can grieve the Holy Spirit. Because joy is an overflow. It's a fruit of being in fellowship, being in step, and walking in the Spirit. Paul writes in Galatians chapter 5 that the fruit of the Spirit is love and is joy. But when that fellowship is severed or cut off in my life, whether it's a lack of experiencing His forgiveness or sin in my life, whatever it might be, when that's severed, when that's affected, then I'm not experiencing joy in my life. When the Bible talks about quenching the Holy Spirit, it just simply means that we just throw water on a hot fire. That when the Holy Spirit is moving in our lives, when the Holy Spirit is speaking to us, when the Holy Spirit is leading us towards something or leaving us, leading us away from something and we ignore the Holy Spirit, the Bible tells us that we quench the Holy Spirit. And the moment we've done that, we're out of fellowship with Him. And the other thing it talks about is us grieving the Holy Spirit. And grieving the Holy Spirit has, has the meaning that when we know not to do and we do it anyway, when we're willfully disobedient and we willfully sin, we have grieved the Holy Spirit of God. But again, God's made a way back into that fellowship, hasn't he? You see, there are none of us in this room that have sinned against God in any way that it cannot be forgiven. We may suffer the consequences of it. We may suffer the fallout of it. But there is nothing, nothing, nothing that he's not willing to forgive because it's been paid for by the blood of Jesus. This last week I had... Kind of odd. I knew I was preaching on this verse, but I had one of the most hellacious weeks in the last week that I've ever had. So like I was under constant attack in the mind and the heart, everything, and just battling this stuff. And I'm like, God, help me with this. I'm preaching on joy. And how can I preach on joy when I'm so unjoyful? And then it came to me, you got to remind yourself who you are. You know, the psalmist writes and he says, why so downcast, O my soul? says it in two different psalms. Why so, why so downcast, O my soul? Put your trust in God, he says. And what I've learned in those psalms is what David's doing when he's writing. He's not asking the question just in the air. He's asking his soul, why are you so downcast, O my soul? And sometimes we got to ask the question, why am I so downcast? And remind ourselves of who we are in Christ and what we have in our riches in Him. That's a sedative. 
began to contemplate that and I reflected on several things in Scripture as, as I thought about this rekindling the joy that is in my life. And the first place that I went to is 2 Timothy chapter 1-9 as I was looking through Scripture and I had to reflect on God's plan to save me from all of eternity past. You recognize this morning that if you're here and you've been born again, you've trusted Christ, that God had you in mind from all of eternity past. Paul writes this to Timothy. He says this in chapter 2, verse 9. He says, he saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ before the ages began. The second thing I had to reflect on was that God has justified me through the blood of Christ. What does it mean to be justified? It means to be just as if I'd never sinned. As God looks at me, God has declared you and me righteous if we've trusted Christ. And Paul writes in Romans chapter 3, you are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And as we meditate on the fact of the truth that we've been justified by Christ, not by our own works, it begins to kindle joy in our heart. And regardless of what the circumstances may be around us, we can rejoice in the fact that we've been justified before him. The enemy may may whisper in our ear, we're not, right? Or somebody may whisper in our ear that we're not. But the fact is, as we trusted Christ, we've been justified in his presence. Joy is experienced when Jesus becomes our all in all. You see, I found this to be true in my life. That any other time my heart wanders from him being first place, preeminent in my life. And it doesn't mean that I've gone into any kind of gross sin, but anytime my attitude has turned to anything else, anytime my mindset has turned to anything else, and he's not first in my life, if I'm not seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, if that's not preeminent in my heart and my mind, I find joy being robbed away from my life. Paul put it this way in Philippians when he wrote there. He said, whatever gain I had, remember this is the the story on joy, the book on joy that he's writing. He said, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. In the book, In Dangers, Toils, and Snares, John Ortberg writes this. And I'm sharing this story because so often we have a tendency to look for joy in every other place except the place that's been intended for us to find joy in the Christian life. John Orberg writes this. He says, we take our children to the shrine of the golden arches. They always lust for the meal that comes with a cheap little prize, a combination Christian in a moment of marketing genius, the happy meal. You're not just buying fries, McNuggets, and a dinosaur stamp. You're buying happiness. Their advertisements have convinced my children that they have little McDonald's-shaped vacuums in their souls. Our hearts are restless till we find their rest and happy meal. I try to buy off the kids sometimes, and I tell them to order only the food, and, and I'll give them a quarter to buy a little toy on their own. 
But the cry goes up, I want a happy meal. And all over the restaurant, people crane their necks to look at the tight-fisted, penny-pinching, cheapskate of a father who would deny a child a meal of great joy. He says the problem with the happy meal is that the happy wears off. And they need a new fix. No child discovers lasting happiness in just one Hey, remember the Happy Meal? What a great joy I found there. Happy Meals bring happiness only to McDonald's. <laughs> you ever wonder why Ronald McDonald wears that grin? <laughs> 20 billion Happy Meals, that's why. The problem is when you get older, you don't get any smarter. Your Happy Meals just get more expensive. Got an Apple Watch 3. I'm wanting a 5. Anybody else want a 5? How many want the iPhone 11? Be honest. Yeah? Your 8's doing just fine. And so you kind of do a search on the internet, Apple, iPhone 11... Like, God, should I get the 11? God, show me. God, open the door for me if I need to get the 11, right? We shut down the computer. We come back to the computer the next day, and all of a sudden on our news feed on different places, there's the advertisement for the Apple iPhone 11. God, thank you for the sign. <laughs> I'm only satisfied until the next version comes out. You see, our joy in the Lord, if it's centered around anything else other than our fellowship with Him, we're not going to experience it. As a Christian, as a believer, as a Christ follower, if, if, if my joy is dependent on the last church service that I went to, it's going gonna, it's gonna to wane by Sunday afternoon. If my joy is dependent on the last passion conference that I went to and hoping to get a fix at the next one, we're missing it. If my joy is set on the next, I almost said her name, the next Bible study that comes out by some person, if, if that's where my joy is set, then, then I'm missing it. And all those things are good. Nothing wrong with those things. But if we're looking for joy in the Christian life in any other place, and through fellowship with him, we're not going to experience it. And John says, listen, the first factor in this, we're going to talk about the others as we go through John, the first factor in experiencing that fellowship with him is to receive his forgiveness. Receive his forgiveness. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to do anything to get it. Jesus has already paid all of that for us. Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Conyers, located in Conyers, Georgia. For more information about First Baptist Conyers, please visit us online at firstconyers.com.